Good afternoon. This is Glenn Prezano. I am the founder and publisher of Merrimack Valley Magazine, and this is the 495. Wait a, wait a second. What are you doing here? Where's Doug? Well, Doug has an upper body injury. What? He skated in warm-ups. <laughs> Such, and uh, he, he, he just couldn't go. Couldn't go? He couldn't go. So they, you know, they pulled me out of retirement. How upper body? You know. Like above I, the waist, above the shoulders? Above the waist. Okay. Above, right. Upper body. Yeah. That's why they say upper body. Yeah. So uh, there's no Ask the Editor this week. <laughs> no. Because he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> he brings the questions. Right. So uh, so we're going to jump right in. All right. Uh, with our, our guest, Dr. Lane Glenn. President of Northern Essex Community College. Welcome to the 495. Thank you. Great to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Well, thanks for coming. Well, listen, I figured let's start this by taking a trip down memory lane. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. You're in for it now, Lane. And I don't know, I'm assuming you remember this, but it's probably not something you think about every day. But back in 2011, when you were first uh, became president of Northern Essex, we did a feature... Uh, in the magazine at the time called Coffee Talk, which was sort of a live interview and photo shoot held at coffee shops. And uh, you remember that? I do, as a matter you of know? fact. That was an enjoyable conversation. Don't do the close-up on the photos, though. <laughs> <laughs> looks very young. It you was know. a few years ago. Hair's dark. He's got a suit on for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that was the first time we actually met each other. Yeah. It was at the coffee shop, which no longer exists. Uh, unfortunately, the building is there, but the coffee shop isn't. And the magazine is uh, going strong. And, and I love that. And the magazine, we're st and we're both still here, you which bet. is always a good thing. <laughs> uh, but we're not really here to talk about you as uh, as college president, are we? We're here to talk about your recent expedition uh, in Africa. We can do that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your your trek up Kilimanjaro? You just returned uh, less than two weeks ago from uh, from Africa, and, and one of those trips of a lifetime, uh, the tallest freestanding mountain in the world, um, along with my much younger brother and uh, some friends of his. I was I was with a passel of thirty year olds. Um, which was instructive in its own way. Okay. Uh, and, and yes, we, we, we managed a, a six-day trek uh, up Mount Kilimanjaro. So it took you, you did six days. Because back yeah. in 2018, as you uh, probably recall, Teresa Park, yep. who is, uh, uh, I think she's still the planning director at the city of Lawrence. So I'm not sure. Not for long, but uh, she's oh. on her way over to the Merrimack Valley Planning Commission. Oh, I didn't know happy, that. Happy, happy day. We're all very happy about Oh, that. okay. Yeah. Didn't know that, but that's yeah. great news. But Teresa climbed in uh, 2018 and then wrote a piece for us yeah. uh, about about that, and I believe her trip was eight days. Yeah, there's so, a, so you guys did six. There's a few different routes. Uh, we did what's considered sort of the mid route, right? You need some time to adjust to the altitude. Okay. There's a shorter route that's uh, four days that has a very low success rate. We we tried the four day thing, and you kind of you know. That was pushing. Oh, right, yes. That, that was <laughs> a different four-day trip. Right, we don't. <laughs> we, we, enough with the four days. We had, we okay. had everybody survived, but and all the voyagers are yeah. probably in agreement. So, <laughs> right, they want longer so, days. So six six days for Kilimanjaro. Yeah, six was uh, the mid-range. So we we went what's called the Mashame route. Okay, uh, which is really like five days up and a day and a half out kind of a thing. Uh, Teresa, I think, went the Lamosha route, which is uh, uh, sometimes locally referred to as the Coca-Cola route, which is an eight-day route. Okay. Um, just you know, a little extra time to adjust. You know, you're on your way up. Why the Coca-Cola? Uh, I the, the the locals. That's the, their name for this. And, thing, and what, so. is the, what is the what is the local name I, for I, the I, trek that you took? They've got sponsorship, Glenn. Uh, uh, <laughs> was I not supposed to mention that? <laughs> that's right. Thanks. <laughs> no plugs. A freebie. <laughs> I'm the ad guy. You're not supposed to mention sponsors uh, unless they pay. But anyway, we uh, our, ours was. Uh, 
uh, it was a, a very scenic route, right? Yeah. So we got to climb the Barranco Wall and some spots along the way that just are really some magnificent scenery. Well, so I had a question about, you know, physical conditioning. And for those yeah. that uh, who, who yeah. don't know you, uh, you're very active, to say the least, and I not am. and not just riding an exercise bike like me. You're sort of out doing actual adventures, skiing and bike riding yeah, and hiking, as much as possible. And going down the river. Um, and I had a question about how physically fit somebody has to be to actually climb this or is it a is it a climb or is it more of a hike or is it more of a hike on, on, I mean, the, on the route honestly uh, i was able to proudly say to a lot of people while i was there who aren't from new england mm -hmm. that uh, you know the white mountains and particularly mount washington uh, have far worse conditions uh, than mount kilimanjaro they absolutely do right they get colder they get windier um, the rocks are harder in places to climb over. Mount Kilimanjaro is much more of a hike than it is a climb. There's a mm -hmm. few places where you got to scramble and, and do some things that are maybe technically challenging, but not as much as, as you can often find in the White Mountains. It's the altitude, right? That's the big difference. Right. It's that right. thin air. And, and Teresa wrote about that in her article, yeah. which is available on mvmag.net. We will plug ourselves. It is. You, you can know, still here. find it there. The I looked at it before there. I went. I wanted to see what Good. I could learn. Absolutely. So we're, 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 we're sort of required reading what you're you saying bet. for the Merrimack Valley. You bet. I tell everybody. Another shameless that. plug. There's going to be <laughs> Nothing a shameless about There's that. There's going to be a lot of That's them. It's good advice. <laughs> but so, all right. So, but, so overall physical fitness is what yeah. somebody's going to need for something like this. But how much hiking experience? I mean... Well, uh, almost everybody on our trek was a fairly accomplished hiker. There were a couple who were physically fit in other ways, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they were you know runners or cyclists, kind of a thing. But they right. were everybody had you know some level of physical fitness. Okay. You know, you don't want to just get up off the couch after a few years and, and decide you're going to mount climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Probably, um, you might not do very well. But I will say it doesn't it doesn't require that you are a world class athlete. It really doesn't. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I saw somebody yesterday who uh, commented on the blog post that I had written about the, the trip and said, mm -hmm. wow, that's magnificent. I said, you should think about it sometime. And this is a, a woman who teaches for us at the college, and she's pretty physically fit. She teaches Zumba classes. Mm -hmm. I said, you mm -hmm. could do that. She said, no, no, no. I said, you know who the oldest person was to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? She was 89, and she just wow. did it last July. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's that's, possible. That's 89. something, actually. Yeah. yeah. So it is. And that's wow. that's kind of rare. That's so this the, hope for me is what you're saying. Well, yeah, a few years. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, several. Get off the get off get off the uh, the bike and actually go yeah, outside. Yeah. I know, but it's cold out like well, right now. So, it is. It is. You know, I don't like running in the cold. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> I love it. I, I love know it. you do. I know you do. So, um, so another question I had um, is because it's more of a hike, hike and not a climb. Like I know uh, the little I know about about this topic, like. Climbing Mount Everest is a thing now for people who've got a couple of bucks. Yeah, right. It's expensive. Okay, and I'm guessing that um, you know it's not as challenging to be going up Kilimanjaro than Everest, but Everest has had this issue of really inexperienced people climbing and getting and dying on the yeah. mountain because yeah. they they really don't know what they're doing and shouldn't be there. You know, is is Kilimanjaro? Uh, as crowded? Were there a lot of people with you? Is it the thing to do, you know, when you know you're not really qualified to do Everest? You know, because I've joked to you in the past about when you're climbing Everest. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, definitely uh, there are a lot of people climbing Kilimanjaro because it is manageable as those things go, mm -hmm. right? Um, there were two people in our group who had climbed to base camp of Everest, uh, which is actually a little lower than Kilimanjaro. It's at 17,000 something, mm -hmm. you know, had made that part of the trip. 
um, you know, it's a little uh, misleading what you see about Everest because those like the line of people, of course, that we right. all saw. Right. That's largely because of weather conditions and the narrow window that you have to climb. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got only a few days annually you can do that. So there aren't nearly as many people trying to climb Everest as there are trying to climb Kilimanjaro. Huge difference. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, if, if for those folks who might want to try something, you know, life-altering and really challenging, Kilimanjaro is, is a, an accomplishable thing for probably more people than you might think. So, so, so there are many people that yeah. feel that way, though, because obviously in climbing a mountain like Everest, there are a few ways to go in a short window. I'm guessing the window is not as, as right. small uh, for Kilimanjaro and that you know, there are at least two or three different ways to go up. Right. So, but it did it did it feel like it was crowded? No, we I mean, weren't we weren't waiting in lines. Uh, no, there, but we okay. certainly saw plenty of other people. Uh, right. And and you know, Kilimanjaro, you're required to go with guides. You know, mm-hmm. people are typically also using porters. So, but for every right. for every climber, you got at least a couple of other people on the mountain for each climber. Right. Okay. So there's usually typically two. It depends on the size of your group, but you know, okay. from, we had 12 people in our group. We had 36 uh, porters and guides and all this. It was a big group, right? Wow. Now, did everybody know each other, or they was, was no, sort of? No, there were five of us uh, who who sort of knew one another, and then we met the other seven there. Uh, and you, you get to know each other very quickly. And what what's the process for? Like, so you guys decided to do this. You, you know, is there an outfitter that you go to? Like, what's the process? Yeah, you know, there, there are various group, various uh, uh, guide groups. You know, we happen to use one. Uh, I'm supposed to plug them here, but I will. G Adventures, they're awesome. Um, okay. And they do treks all around the world, right? So I'm mm-hmm. looking ahead to maybe doing something with them in Antarctica, um, which, I, you know, world's biggest desert. Let's go. Uh, lots to do down there. You're going uh, to Antarctica. I'd like to. It's on the list, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so these these we, groups. We, we might have to send a photographer with you. That'd be fantastic. You know. Yeah. One of, one of our cold tolerant folks. <laughs> not you. Kevin Harkins, who was on last week, is yeah. going to see this and go, I'm not going on Antarctica. Yeah. He's already sending you the email. He's already, he's already <laughs> well, writing up the on the email. screen. There it is. Don't Kevin's call not, me. Actually, yeah. Kevin can surprise you sometimes. He may go, wait, no, 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 I will do that. <laughs> he does surprise us from time to time with the assignments that he likes that I wouldn't expect. So, But that's something you really have to document. Uh, well, we'll love to. So anyway, yeah, yeah these these groups wow. that, that arrange these tours, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty comprehensive. Uh, that, you know, in terms of what they what they will make sure you're uh, prepared to do, right? Okay. Uh, How? Uh, you know, they'll go so far for the people who don't have it as to provide equipment, you know, rent equipment. Well, I was going to ask you that question. How much of your own stuff? I know you have a lot of that kind I, of stuff that yeah, you bring. I, you, you I winter camp frequently, so I have everything. Okay, so I you brought your own gear. Yeah, well, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, we did. Um, but there were. But if you were me and you like, you know, you got like a thin little jacket, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then come see me and, and I'll help you. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll help or, outfit you. Or the guides would, yeah, you know, yeah. I can just yeah. pay some money. And well, and, and uh, actually, at the end, you know, what some people will frequently do if they buy some stuff is, you know, leave it there for the guide. They don't make a lot of money. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a terribly poor place on the planet. It yeah. really is. Wow. Um, you know, Moshi, which is the largest city at the base of the mountain, there is desperately poor. Uh, and these guides, you know, earn the equivalent of you know seven bucks a day. Uh, from the company, and then of course you know you can provide some right. extra gratuity, but right. they don't earn a lot of money. But um, the climbing is good for the econ- the local economy, or uh, no? It, it it has to be at some level because it's providing some employment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's one of the things that you know we talked a bit. So the other guys that I was there with, my brother and and his friends, uh, are all MBA graduates from Cornell. You know, they're heavily into figuring this kind of stuff out. Right, right. And we had a lot of conversations about the economics of this and. 
what it what what it seemed it should be doing for the local economy that it actually doesn't seem yeah to be doing and unfortunately sometimes with travel yeah. it doesn't have the impact that people might think it right it, it is having and I'm not sure yeah. that's a big question it is yeah, I mean you know the, the the most of the people we talked to and interacted with uh, including our guides and porters and people in the town you know their their monthly rent for wherever they were staying is the equivalent of about twenty dollars US right you know, and yeah. I, it's just the the scale of things um, is you know preposterously different uh, so yeah, people who will buy equipment will often leave it for the guides and the porters, and that's how they outfit themselves. So you, didn't, you weren't just thinking about survival while you were climbing this; you could actually contemplate and think about other things since you were absolutely. This I wrote along the way, and yeah, had some great conversations. Uh, you know, you, it, the distance is actually not terribly I, long well, because yeah, I had a question about yeah. that. So your vertical height, like, because the base is around seventy five hundred. Yeah, uh, around six actually. Around six, 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 sixty. Yeah, somewhere in there. Okay, sixty-five. Seven, yeah. And then, so your actual vertical climb is is thirteen, fourteen thousand feet. But how many yeah. how many miles were you actually hiking to? You know, it varies. Uh, I think the longest day we had, well, actually the last day, I guess, when you when we summit and then come back down again and, and hike out was probably the longest, and that might have been a fourteen or fifteen mile day, mm. which is that's up a long day. Up and back. up and back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that that's a long day, but. You, you can certainly log longer than that up in the White Mountains pretty right. easily. Right. Um, so it's really, again, the altitude. You know, the distance is not that far. We, there were some days it was only a few miles because, you know, the most frequent phrase you hear on that mountain is pole pole, which is Swahili for slowly, slowly, mm -hmm. right? Take it easy. Don't try to go fast. How, how did you do with the... Uh Pretty well, the, the altitude, yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody, it affects everybody at some level. Right. Um, you know, a little bit of a headache, um, you know, sh a little shortness of breath. Mm -hmm. um, my brother and I both had done some hiking out in the Canadian Rockies and the Tetons, which, right. you know, you can get 13,000, 14,000 feet in those places. Still, you know, that other 6,000 feet makes a difference. Well, I was going to say, you, you did that rather recently, too. So yeah. was that in part in preparation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had gone out and hiked across the Tetons in August mm -hmm. and then out around the Canadian Rockies last June. Um, so yeah, so you, guys, practice. you guys did do some prep. I mean, it wasn't yeah. just like, you know, right. as you said, couch potato to, right. you know, climbing a 20,000-foot mountain. Okay. Right. right. But not, not anything crazy extreme where, like, if you actually wanted to, you know, climb, do mountaineering, and you wanted to do it the right uh, way, I would, yeah, you I would, would train so, a little bit differently than... Yeah, so yeah, one of the things yeah. that we started to look at was, you know, maybe a Denali uh, climb, which would require more technical more technical climbing, climbing and, skills. And the conditions are a lot <clears throat> harsher uh, at the top of Denali. Denali is a little bit taller than Kilimanjaro, mm -hmm. you know, highest in, in North America, and tops out a little above 20,000 feet. But the, the conditions up there, the barometric pressure, the cold uh, conditions all the time, it's a lot harsher, and the success rate's a lot lower. Hmm. Interesting. But is that in the thought process? It's in the thought process. I don't know Ooh. where it's going to go. We'll see. Well, I mean, when you, after you've achieved certain things, uh, in this kind of these kinds of athletics, I mean, you are clearly the kind of person who likes to challenge yourself, for the sake of challenging yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you know, my ideal vacation is sitting in a lounge chair on a cruise ship with a cocktail on my hands, and and yours you is know, you, climbing you, mountains. You say that. <laughs> you I know. think you can do that for a short period of time, but your mind is always so busy. I don't know how long you could but sit I in that use, lounge but I, chair. But I use that. But see, I can't really go away for more than about a week, so that's all <laughs> yeah. I have. So I don't really have a frame of reference. Fair enough. If I had more time, Fair enough. what would I do with it? But uh, I, I use that experience actually to shut it off, okay. you know. Um, but I'm intrigued by these things that you do. Um, and, and speaking about uh, Washington, I mean, you did a... 
a bike run swim skiing oh the tuckerman's the, pentathlon the, yeah. yeah skiing down the bowl at the end which when you told me that i'm like that was the last thing of this big <laughs> was skiing the bowl highly recommend that one you know you can do it as a team you can do it individually you can but it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. It's the Tuckerman's Pentathlon. It's a fundraiser for the friends of uh, Tuckerman's Ravine up there. And um, I mean, it's a gorgeous spot for it people is. who've never yeah. actually seen it. And I've only seen it skiing Wildcat years ago yeah. and basically fallen on my butt because I was looking at the bowl the, instead of paying attention to what I was the, doing. The hardest part of that thing was the bike ride. And you've got listeners, I'm sure, who are cyclists. And yeah. I am not. I can ride a bike. I understand right. how to do it. But I don't own the right equipment. I'm not an avid cyclist. So I am when, awesome on my fan bike in the basement. Uh, yes, there you go. I was on it this morning. I'm really good at it. Well, the bike ride of this thing was only 18 miles, which for cyclists is not a very long. Right. But, but it's up a mountain, right? right. It's, it's up to Mount Washington. And the bike that I had uh, was nearly as old as I am. It was <laughs> it was a racing bike from that, the 19... That old? It was, how about that? Was it one of those big wheel bikes? Uh, it did have two big wheels on it. Uh, and for its time, it was probably considered a lightweight racing bike. I, I met one of those giant wheels. I know, I, I know you them. did. I know, the big uh, knobby sand things. But yeah. it was well, the best part of, of having this bike in that race was seeing it in the bike rack alongside the $6,000 you know, carbonite racing machines. Yeah, bikes can be expensive. You know, I had yeah. to dust some rust off of mine before I pedaled it up the right. mountain. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> were, you know, were, you, were you getting looks from the other side? I was. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. Envious looks, right? He's, he's doing this? Well, I experienced... He and that bike? I experienced that a little bit You know, when I was uh, support staff for the Voyager uh, expedition oh. where there was the, uh, the glares... Lou, they were, we were glaring at certain people's kayaks. I'd imagine. We're yeah. not naming names, but yep. he knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably listening right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I got from uh, the Voyager, just being around it in the manner that I was, <clears throat> was the camaraderie that does develop through that sort of shared experience of doing something that's hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we all do that maybe in our work life and, and such, but when you're doing it in an athletic activity in a compressed period of time, it, it's sort of a different qualitative nature. You bet. Yeah, and, and we saw, you know, some wonderful friendships and relationships that, you know, already existed prior to that trip, but mm. certainly were galvanized, if you will, by the experience. You know, one of my favorite moments was watching uh, State Representative Jim Kelcourse and now State oh, yeah. Senator Diana DiZaglio in a tandem kayak, yeah. you know, with, with Jim behind Diana. I think we uh, ran photos you know, of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, loudly proclaiming that, yeah. uh, you know, behind every great senator there's a state rep, you know, <laughs> helping <laughs> helping propel her down the river. Of the, of the opposite party, right. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to yeah. mention that part. Yeah, well, yeah, had, but, uh, but, that, but that was part of it, and it was, it was fun, and, and, you know, it kind of was a nice bonding experience. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, you had that on the uh, on the expedition of Kilimanjaro, and your group, yeah. you said, uh, was a dozen folks, and you guys were only, what, Five or there six. were five of us. Yeah. So you so you met we, new people. Yeah, a couple of folks from Germany, from uh, uh, Bali, from uh, England, from Australia. Uh, they were from all over the place and uh, had come there for different reasons, you know. And uh, definitely along the way, you, you form, you know, any, at least some. Any relationships you think will last? Well, uh, there's already been a little back and forth with photo sharing and that sort of thing. Well, and, that's um, great. You yeah. know, we, we've been invited to uh, Oktoberfest by our German hiking partner, so we're, we'll, we'll see who ends up uh, in Munich, in, uh, in, in, which is actually in September, by the way. Oktoberfest yeah. starts in September. So. Yeah, well, that, that, that's great. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it is. You know, that's, I think that's part of the experience of uh, any kind of traveling. But again, I think it's probably qualitatively different when it's that sort of shared experience and 
not you, you don't know for sure that everyone's going to achieve some struggle goal. and indeed not everybody in our group did not everybody made it to the top uh, most of the group did um, but uh, any surprises as to who did and who didn't I not necessarily I mean it, it I will say this from what I understand that altitude can affect anybody regardless of your fitness level in different ways yeah so it's not just about being you know a cardio beast uh, right. at, you know at the CrossFit gym or anything mm -hmm. like that um, it can affect anybody. Yeah. That probably scares me the most because I suffer from migraines, yeah. and I and I shouldn't do this because the microphone picks it up. I just figured that out. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you okay? You need to take a break. You all right? No, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but uh, you know, I suffer from migraines, and and in sort of rereading re uh, you know Teresa's article and and having this conversation, that would be my one big fear. And yeah. I get I get affected by atmospheric pressure, yeah. so I'm thinking, gee, you know, am Could I gonna, am I going to be yeah. the person that gets like eight thousand feet and bells? You know, <laughs> I, uh, it was well, actually one of the remarkable things, uh, one of the many remarkable. I will say this: everybody in our group made it up to a place called Stella Point, which is almost the summit of Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. It's almost the summit. It's not terribly far away. It's another. 45 minutes, hour, maybe hour 15 of hiking, you know, in, in the coldest part of the mountain up there. Um, not everybody made it that far, right? Uh, and you're right about the headache part. You know, all of us had some form of that. You know, the other thing that's a challenge at that altitude is you cannot sleep. I mean, it just, there's, you can't sleep. Why? I, the altitude, the breathing, uh, there's a slight disorientation. It's very difficult to sleep. So what's one of the reasons that we hike in the middle of the night, right? We hiked all day, got to a place called Barafu Camp, had four hours to rest, but nobody could really rest. You're, you're 15 plus thousand feet. It's hmm. kind of challenging to really sleep. Hmm. Um, you know, got up at midnight, hiked through the night. So basically, you know, 20 hours straight of hiking, summit, come back down, get lower and, and find time to rest. That's typically what the groups will do. Hmm. And you leave at around midnight or yeah, what, put the, 1 a.m.? put the headlamps on at midnight and head up the mountain. I mean, there's probably undoubtedly some hmm. listeners out there right now who have done this trek and know what I'm right. talking about. And right. Hiking through the middle of the night and, you know, getting up there and staying a little bit of time and then getting yourself back it, down. It's there. one of those things, though, and obviously we like to do it with the magazine to always sort of bring these sort of details out that people don't think about, you know. Um, but just the idea, you know, and when I reread that in, in the article, I'm like, wow, we have midnight and then you actually had referenced it in the piece that you did in your newsletter yeah. uh, as well and I don't think people think about that but you want to sort of time it in certain ways for a variety of reasons yeah. um, that's a, that's an awful long awfully long stretch to go without sleeping wait though you don't get the payoff of a view oh actually part of the, the other reason thank you for asking yeah. that Lou the other reason for hiking through the night is if you time it right which four of us did um, then you hit Stella Point at dawn. At sunrise. At yeah. sunrise, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you see the sun. I mean, you're well above the clouds up there. So you're looking down, you know, perhaps over some clouds, which we were watching the sun come up through them. And it's wow. just, yeah, it's having that spectacular. You know, I had a question about um, snow. All right. Because in the photos uh, of Teresa at the summit, there was no snow in the, in the photo that we ran. And in your photos, there seemed to be a lot of snow. And oh, I know yeah. that there's been issues there, environmental issues. So what was the snow cap like? What did you experience? Was there more or less? And what are the, the locals saying about that, if anything? So from just below Stella Point up, completely covered in snow, with a fairly good base, I would guess a couple of feet maybe. Um, the week before we were there, uh, it had been hit 
by four or five days in a row of 10 to 12 inches a day. Now, the average snowfall in December is only a few dozen inches, mm -hmm. but they got walloped right before we got there. Hmm. Um, there are glaciers up there, but they are melting rapidly. Yeah, because that's what I understood. Yeah, they're expected they're to having, disappear. Yeah. And that's what I've read, that right. they are expected to disappear. So right. when I saw your photos, my the first thing I thought of, there's a lot of snow. Yeah. But sort of just a local weather condition versus... Yeah, the snow comes and goes. The right. glaciers, you know, are... Are well, still receding. Are still receding, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, in previous years, we might have said more permanent, but they're really not. They're disappearing. Right, quickly. right. They're expected to be gone. Any conversation with the locals about that? Do oh, yeah. they notice they, it? They do. They're well aware. Yeah. yeah. Does, it, does it impact their life? Um, it, you know, interestingly, I, I, so... The, the river trip we took last year, of course, mm -hmm. uh, ended up focusing a lot of attention on the quality of the water in the Merrimack yeah. River, yeah. sewage overflows, things like that, environmental issues. Right. And I'm no expert in that field. I've become a lot more knowledgeable and, and I'm continuing to work, actually, with the River Commission. And right. Do what as, we can. as are we. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and yeah. do what we can to, to address those things. Interestingly, um, Tanzania, which is the country that yeah. hosts this mountain, uh, hasn't completely banned uh, plastic bags. You cannot have one in the country. Hmm. No plastic bags in Tanzania. And uh, they are intensely uh, interested in, you know, the water quality of moving bodies of water, rivers, streams, and what goes in them, uh, and very observant about, you know, what's happening in those streams to the point where, you know, when you're crossing them uh, on this trek, you know, the guides will tell you, you know, what to do and not to do near the water. Um, it's fresh water source, you know, right. for a lot of people, yeah. right? There, there's a much higher degree of consciousness, it seems, among, you know, the the uh, local population uh, about those things. Maybe out of necessity, right? Mm. Um, because it's not as if you're relying on you know, water purification plants most of the time. Uh, Listen, even I mean, uh, many communities, as you know, in the Merrimack Valley are getting the drinking water from the Merrimack, and even though there are treatment plants, I still think some of the issues are uh, unacceptable. You know, and need to be addressed, and it's just, it's not on, it's just not top of mind for everybody. So I think the service that we're all doing yeah. uh, with these stories and doing these things is is, is raising that awareness. Yeah, it's come a long way. I was you know? uh, I was actually in Newburyport uh, just a little while ago, uh, having coffee with a, a local uh, boatsman, um, who said, "Look, you know, I've been around here my whole life, and it's far better than it was in the 1970s." And, right, and it okay. is. And, and, and no it's, doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Yeah. And that's not reason to say, okay, we've done enough, right? Right. Um, we know that there are episodes, you know, during lots of rainfall when had the sewage it, flows it, out during, into the river. Yeah. Had it during, our, during the yeah. Voyager ex expedition yeah. in, in August. Uh, and and the good news there yeah. is that the communities all along the river, including up in New Hampshire, are coming together around these issues and working together. Has right? there been movement since the summer? And yeah, so so the uh, Senator Desaglio, who has been really leading this effort to right. form and to to lead this Merrimack River District Commission, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that commission, which I'm temporarily helping to lead, mm -hmm. while we've got a transition going of on at the Planning are. Commission, so <laughs> we have a meeting coming up on February the sixth uh, that includes partners, you know, up uh, in New Hampshire, Manchester, that's, Nashua. That's the key thing, though, that I think is great, and that's what I was really asking: is are you getting cooperation yes, from absolutely. the New Hampshire side? Yes. Because obviously it does flow downriver. Yeah, literally. it does. So right. it's and, important and to have a, recognition. Have a, have a, a you know, you I mean, know, some of these states involved. Some of these things which we learned about, you know, on that river expedition mm -hmm. last last uh, summer, um, are huge legacy issues. A city like Manchester, right. you know, you're talking about you know, over north of a billion dollars of infrastructure improvements yeah. that have to be made. Yeah. 
Um, that's yeah, a big that's lift. my impression. This needs right. to be a federal issue. And, and, and right, it is because so, local communities right. can't afford to fix what yeah. needs to be fixed. And and uh, later this summer, I think you'll hear. It's not any big secret, so I don't think I'm spilling any beans here. We can know, break uh, news. That's okay, okay, great. Well, here you go. So I was with uh, Congresswoman Trahan yesterday, who said yes, she is indeed, you know, organizing a, a, another expedition down the river with herself and hopefully Congressman Moulton and our congressional representatives from New Hampshire, because they recognize too this is a oh, federal that, issue. All right, well that's good. There's some joint sponsorship around yeah. uh, legislation that would help address this. That uh, Congressman Moulton and Congresswoman Trahan have, have put together. So at the federal level state level, local level, you know, there's a lot of attention being paid here. Organizations uh, and people are concentrating on the local level, though, and I think it's misplaced. The pressure has to be placed federally. Because even, you talk about Lowell, you talk about Manchester, you talk about the overflow sites. Those towns and their taxpayers can't fix this problem. They just can't fiscally do it. It's, it's got a to big be lift. federally aided. Yeah, it's a big lift, and yeah. it's going to require a combination of those things, right? Leadership at the local level, resources at the federal level, all that mm -hmm. stuff. So, you know, as, as one of the tasks of this River Commission right now uh, is to put together uh, a pilot flagging project uh, for later this year uh, down mm -hmm. in Newburyport. Uh, and also, while working on that, to, to pull together all the various studies that have been done uh, over the last you know couple of decades, so you know we're working with uh, Brown and Caldwell, a firm out of Andover, mm -hmm. uh, to help us do that and to help us form a couple of groups to set some specific goals that are agreed upon up in New Hampshire and in Massachusetts. So the the team effort uh, is coalescing here, which is wonderful. I like the I like the notification program, the flag program that you guys are uh, starting because it's going to raise awareness in the communities because when they see the flags drop, we're going to get overflows or this water is a certain quality. It's more day to day. To them they don't get it now you know they don't understand they're looking at the river it looks the same yeah but it's not yeah yeah and of course one of the cautions there is uh, we want to be as accurate as possible with such a, a, a project and that's going to require some technology that's going to require you know real-time sampling that sort of thing right now there are some things we know about you know when these overflows happen and how long they tend to take to flow into certain parts of the river and you could say for example you know, 48 hours after this amount of rain, it's likely that this right. part of the river is going to be contaminated. Exercise caution. You don't want to, of course, raise the alarms farther than they need to go because you don't want to unnecessarily restrict right. recreation or cause people to panic, right? So there's a there's a, a balance to be struck there. Well, I think that the, you know, if people spend some time in and around the river, and, and obviously people sort of at the mouth in Newburyport and Amesbury do, but I'm not so sure up in uh, in the upper parts that they pay attention to it as much, although they could. Um, and so I think that just uh, when people realize how beautiful it is, uh, the one night was spent at the, uh, the I'm going to not remember the right name, the, the boathouse. In, in, yeah, the uh, Independence Rowing Club in, in Nashua? Uh, no, 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 in, in Lawrence. Oh, in Lawrence. Oh, my gosh. Which is yeah. one of the most. Bisharis boathouse. Yeah, what yeah. a gorgeous bend in the river that this boathouse yeah. is, is oh, located at. And you would never think that you were in the city of Lawrence, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's idyllic. And you spend some time in there, it's like you want to go out in that river. So all of a sudden, you start thinking that. It's like, well, okay, but now I want to care about this. Yep. You know, maybe even more so than thinking about where your tap water is coming from. It's a, phen a phenomenally great resource, a recreational resource, through its entire length. Absolutely. Not just down in Newburyport, where I think, yeah, okay, it's yeah. it's been that way. People have known it for a long time. But, you know, Lowell's got a great stretch that's calm, and because of the dam that where, where people can recreate uh, and do, um, and, and you want the clean water. So I, I think we're all doing a good job of raising awareness, and obviously we're going to continue to be 
on top of it as Great. a subject that we write about because you know we're Merrimack Valley yeah. Magazine, so how could we not? Um, and we probably haven't done enough of it uh, over the years, um, as as we've discussed. Uh, you know, when the Voyager thing first came up, uh, and you know. Well, you were a big part of the reason that whole thing happened. And for I mean, those Merrimack that, Valley and Magazine, and for those that don't, uh, who haven't seen this, this was our September. <laughs> yeah. Another shameless plug for the magazine. Um, you know, this was great because you know, and so many people reacted to this cover um, for I think a lot of different reasons, and, and not just the cover, the, the entire issue, the story, and even other things that people maybe discovered because they picked it up for one Good. reason and then yeah. saw other things. So it really, you know, it really was. Um, Really was terrific, and the story is posted in the Facebook Live chat room, so people can go follow up the story. There you go. Yep. Well, and, you that's know, that, fantastic. I want to say that's not a shameless plug. There, that's a service to the community. I know, it I truly is. I, I have to compliment you I, because I, I, <laughs> let me say this. Well, it's take, about take, time. Take Lane, the compliment right? because, I, well, really, I mean, that whole trip happened the way that it did, largely because of you, Glenn Prezano. It did. Right? You and I had a conversation. Well, you brought at, it up. At, well, I brought it up, but when I brought it up, it was a, a little trip with my brother and maybe a couple of guys, Derek Mitchell, Dugan Sherwood. And look what we've achieved. And, and, right? Now, right? The, now we've got the federal government. And, giving and, right. Now we've got research. the <laughs> Wow. That's where it's going. So make Seriously. sure they all know it was me. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you said, you know, this could be a thing, and, and this could be something we cover and write about and, you know, really amplify. Uh, not just the environmental issues, by the way, but the economic issues, I the think recreational they're all, issues. They're all tied together. All tied together. together. Right. We talked about awareness before. I think more of the task now is priority. I, I think people have to understand what a priority cleaning up the river and stopping these overflows is because people are off. Even our federal representatives are off dealing with saving the spinners, which is worthwhile and all that stuff. But, you know, this is job one right now. This is the most important thing facing the valley. Well, I think what's interesting is we know for a fact uh, from the part of the country that you spent a lot of time in that this is an issue of, of, of water res clean water resources in many parts yeah, of the country. Lots of places. But as you j just noted regarding, uh, you know, Tanzania. Is that Tanzania. Tanzania, sorry. Um, it's an issue all over the planet where, right. where rivers right. and water sources have basically been open sewers. You know, people didn't know any better. I don't think you can sort of... Uh, judge past people from past centuries they didn't know you know what they were doing now we know and so it's what we're doing here can be a model for other parts of the country perhaps uh, and any anything learned along the way applied to other other countries that's the hope i mean we're know. certainly looking at yeah. you know places like the mystic river which has a pilot you know which has a flagging project in mm -hmm. place and other each river is different right out, each, out of curiosity sorry to interrupt you the flagging project I, you know i don't know a ton about but i i'm obviously interested in the concept of it but why not actually send out alerts, you know, uh, regarding that the way they would look at with an Amber that's, Alert? That's one of the possibilities, you know. right, is so that you can consult the website, you can sign up for text messaging. I don't know yet where it's going to go. It's yeah. in the early stages of figuring that out. Yeah. Uh, is that all the work? That's part of the, what the district commission is going to be? The that's right. So there's some there's some funding uh, this year mm -hmm. uh, to start something like that. It, it won't cover, you know, one end of the river to the other. It won't be everything. It'll be a pilot, right? That's yeah, what yeah. pilots are about, yeah. uh, to, to experiment and to see what we can learn and the meeting on February 6th is uh, is is looking is is hearing from our consultant uh, with Brown and Caldwell who's going to help us uh, look at all these other research reports that have mm -hmm. been conducted uh, agree on some goals right because there are lots of different ideas for the pilot for well, not just for that not just for the flagging project okay. right but overall goals for okay uh, as we knit together resources 
what are some short, medium, long range things that we can do to address these water quality issues mm -hmm. all the way up and down the river, right? Mm -hmm. This is where that uh, teamwork comes together. But, right? but I yeah. think it's important yeah. for people to walk the boardwalk in Newburyport and what this sewage in the river and just get that conversation started with everybody. Well, one of the things that was uh, a little disturbing to me when we, the first day uh, of the Voyager expedition, um, when we saw some dead fish in the water just floating and we weren't really sure where that, I mean, and that was quite north of, of where, yeah. uh, and I guess there were some, I don't know the exact status of whatever the plants are up there, but it was a bit of a surprise. But when you see that, as you allude to, yeah. it's, it's, it makes well, you think immediately, wait a minute, why is that? What's going on right. here? You and, know? and when you see them floating above white wall tires, which haven't been in style for yeah. a few decades, <laughs> and you know they've been in that river yeah. a while, um, you know there's work to be done. And, yeah. and there are organizations doing that work. Yeah. You know, Shout out to Groundwork Lawrence, shout out yeah. to a number of different organizations up and down the river that are hauling things out of the oh, river my God, helping yeah. to clean it Clean up. River Project, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All that, right? Yeah. So there's, there's, the, the good news is there are a lot of hands on deck. Yeah, um, and progress will be made. I, I, I don't know how something like clean water can ever be controversial. Really? I think it's well, <laughs> it's really it's not the it's not the objective, right? It's how do we get from here to there yeah. that that presents the problems, and hopefully it can be worked out in in, in a way that that works for everybody. Um, you know, and again, maybe it serves as a model for other ways of you know working collaboratively collaboratively to achieve certain goals. But how? Who's going, I don't want clean water. I don't know Yeah, I mean, to is. your point, once we know something, um, shame on us if we don't act on it, right? I live right. in Amesbury, uh, upriver a little ways from uh, what is now a condominium complex, referred to as the hat factory, because that's what it used to be. Right, yep. And, of course, that phrase, Matt is a hatter, uh, comes from the use of mercury in shaping hats, mm -hmm. uh, which was a common practice. And, indeed, across the street from the hat factory is a little pond that used to have a problem with mercury, and when the water would fill up and it would overflow into the river you'd have mercury in the merrimack river that's how, what we used to do how right? recently oh, it's been a long time long time so it's clear now we're, right, we're, we're right. it's safe but i mean yeah. years or decades or uh, at, at least years i couldn't pinpoint it for you but okay. there's a development going in around that yeah. pond now right. so they had to yeah. recertify that indeed right. the pond is safe yeah. and it is so i that, i don't mention it for that reason but rather be to your point you know in the past we may not have known some things that we know now. Right. Once we know them, shame on us if we don't act on that. Yeah, and I admit, but who's objecting to it? I mean, again, you could object to funding mechanisms, it's, scarce it's, resources. That's the objection. Because as a taxpayer of Newburyport, for example, when they go to the town and look for water, look for money to mitigate this, I'm thinking we can mitigate all we want. When Lowell's releasing, when Nashua is releasing, when Manchester's right. releasing, it's not doing any good. But that's where there's raising of awareness, I think, is really excellent and, and, and getting uh, you know, folks at all levels, you know, both private and public sector, to, to care about it and and to address it. I mean, you know, we, we have uh, uh, sort of, you know, I've told Doug, you know, the injured reserve. <laughs> Doug, upper body injury. Upper body injury. Uh, you, you know, that, but I want to continue to follow this. And, and with what we're doing on the, on the digital side, um, it's not just going to be, you know, when the magazine comes out every other month. I mean, we can do this, you know, on a daily basis as things happen and I hope that people will look you know come to us to find some of this information on an ongoing basis because it matters I mean the name of the magazine is Merrimack Valley you know, because of the river right and, and I've always said you know, you know the market area is where the river runs absolutely you, you know and, and that's sort of our whole reason to be so how do we how do we not do this and yeah. maybe shame on us for not doing it earlier but you know things didn't sort of come together
Yeah. Uh, although we have done, you know, we did a story on Clean River Project, you know, many years ago, um, but not with the kind of follow-up that I th we're hoping to now so that we continue to raise awareness about what's going on and make, because, you know, when you're talking about, yeah. you know, uh, financial resources, you know, you have to make choices, and that's just life, uh, you know, yeah. at, at every level, personal and, 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 and otherwise. Um, so, but, but who's against clean water, you know, so it's... Well, you know, the... the shouldn't be hard. The shortest and probably best definition of politics that I've ever heard is, you know, the allocation of scarce resources. Mm -hmm. and, Actually, and, and, the best one I ever heard when I was <laughs> in school, um, and I'm not going to remember his name at this point, but it was a political scientist from the 50s who defined politics as who gets what, when, and how. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to similar. In the middle of the night, I'm going to remember the guy's name. What I want to see is I want Wait to see Laurie Cohen and Seth Moulton and our our senators mm -hmm. focusing on this, prioritizing this because this is the thing right now. Go represent us. Go get us the money. New Hampshire as well. New Hampshire takes a has to take a part in this as well. Oh, and that's what I think is great because I think that you know I, I think there's been a feeling that they haven't Absolutely. been. Absolutely. And, the and if there's been some if, the, if some of the effect of what we've already done. Just with a story, with having done this, with all of your efforts and the Watershed Council and 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 uh, Senator Desaglio, getting the the folks up north to pay attention is fantastic. Do you know when that when they're planning to do the trip? Because Lori no, was supposed yet. to be on this one, was she not? Uh, she was, and and for a variety of reasons, the, yeah. the scheduling didn't work out. But I saw her yesterday, and and she had, they haven't set a date yet, but she's trying to arrange it so that uh, we have congressional representatives from up in New Hampshire as well as she yeah. and and Seth Moulton. Um, well, so I will pass the word along. New to Hampshire her. and Nashua has actually made a concerted effort. They've got holding tanks to uh, catch some of the overflow. It hasn't been a full solution. It was very costly to them. Yeah, but but, was, but they've made it. They've made a sincere attempt. And the city of Manchester, if I'm recalling this correctly from the press conference uh, during the Voyager expedition, they had a timeline though that was like 10 or 20 years long. That's that's it, a function of the and, investment, and, and that was it's the and huge, that was the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You it's know, a lot just, of infrastructure. It's a big capital yeah. project. Yeah. It's a huge capital project. So perhaps that can be accelerated if if, uh, if resources are put different on the choices table. are made. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, which is good. Well, we're we'll uh, we'll contact the appropriate people so they keep us in the you loop. Will <laughs> you you can be sure well. of that. Yes. Good. Well, no, because <laughs> we'll I, 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 we want to definitely do the, uh, we definitely want to do the, uh, the coverage of that expedition, and I have vowed to be on it next time and, oh, and not right. support team, because I think we worked harder. So I don't, I don't know if, uh, if, I think Congresswoman Trahan's expedition is probably separate from this one, but my understanding, so Dan Gravak, our friend at the yeah. Merrimack River Watershed Council, chair of the board there, and, and Dugan Sherwood, who's the president of the Haverhill Chamber, uh, I know have, I think, maybe already even secured some grant funds for this year's trip uh, and are, are starting to put together. I've suggested to Dan, yeah, that we go yeah. to the Pemiwasa, go like find the actual source that before it becomes the Merrimack. <laughs> Up in the North Pole somewhere. Yeah, I want to find Iceland, like I want to find a little trickle that becomes the Merrimack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you so. got to do that during the snow melt, uh, so you've got enough water uh, to to do that. We do. So we we have some things that we do here. All right, what uh, do you do? One of them we're dropping though. We're gonna not do it. Right. You know, is that what we decided? Is that because of me? We decided no, because Lane no. just I'm not wouldn't stop no, talking. No, 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 uh, because. Uh, timeliness reasons. But if you want to know about eight great things to do this weekend, please. Uh, Visit mvmag.net tomorrow morning. I love that. And, I read that. Uh, yeah. And sign Those up. Always get, the, get the newsletter, the alert. You don't want that to date this in. podcast line so they come back and they listen to you years later and find out about Kilimanjaro. Yeah, and, right. And 
and the great river things project. to do that happened yeah. years ago. Yes, right? yeah. But we are going to keep little bits. Yes. Because little bits was a feature in the magazine years ago that we used to do all the time. Little historical, often things that related to the Merrimack Valley. And uh, oddly enough, um, you know, this was in uh, an issue. I think it's the same issue, is it not? Uh, no, it's not. Um, but this was one about uh, Leonard Bernstein. Oh, yeah. Famous composer. And you're a theater guy. You mm -hmm. like theater. Indeed. And, uh, you know, for, for a lot of younger folks, they probably have no clue who the, who he is, but he's a, a very uh, famous Laurentian, and I didn't even realize uh, until rereading this, he only passed away in 1990, which in our lifetime is not that long ago. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. <laughs> I remember since, the 90s. Since vividly. you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> since okay. I brought it up. And, yeah. and, uh, it was like 10 minutes ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what's also interesting, because we were searching around, you know, this morning, like what little bits, you know, we're going to add for this, uh, you know, because I think it's a fun thing. And without sort of diving into and in, in reading it, uh, completely, you know, he was born in in 1918, and it became a world, you know, world famous uh, composer Absolutely. and pianist. Um, but and did lots of different things. But he also did a lot of Broadway shows. And one yeah. of the most famous he did was West Side yeah. Story, yeah. which is being revived. I yeah. don't know if you knew that hmm. or not. Uh, but it's going back to Broadway, and it's opening on on December, or February. Pardon me, 20th. Are we going? We didn't take a road Interesting. trip. No, I'm just making the connection for those, you know. Leonard Bernstein, born in Lawrence, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's famous one of the, composer, and they're resurrecting on Broadway with upset. the new, new, what's well, a big upset? I just saw West Side Story about a year ago and thinking to myself, they could never do this today. Never, ever would they do this And they today. are, but yeah. they are making changes. I don't know if they're making changes imagine. to the storyline. Well, I know they're making changes to the music, um, and they're doing something that I know I like, and they're actually turning it into just a one-act you know, show. Um, but I, I wanted to just talk about that a little bit, you know, theater and all right, you know, you're, you're more on your, top of the your, West Side revival than I am, but I try to keep up with. Uh, well, we were just down this past weekend in New York, you know, visiting the kids, yeah. and uh, they bought us tickets to a Broadway show for Christmas, and we went to see Hades Town, huh. uh, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it won a bunch of uh, Tony Awards this year. And 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 was it worth all the acclaim? Yes. Okay. Yes, like I it's one of those shows I want to see again. Ah, all right. So so you actually have and this was in our our coffee talk. Yeah. Uh, a theater background. I do. And uh, I I think that's very interesting and 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 you know, why don't you talk about when, that? When I, when I became, what it does for you. Yeah, right. When what I became it has done for you. President of the college, I, I did a couple interviews. I, one of them was not with you at the time, but, but with newspapers. Mm -hmm. and, and at least twice, uh, different reporters said to me, uh, first question out of the shoot, so, a theater degree. And they did that with their face, right? They made this expression like... <laughs> How the heck? Right? Wait, wait. So I, right, did I, we. I realize this is a podcast. I, People are listening to this. And, then, <laughs> and well, we're on Facebook well, Live, yeah. too. So uh, I had to explain that you know there there is probably no better preparation and education and training. Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, first question we, with you, We have too. to start here. Your PhD. <laughs> it was one of you guys. Yeah, well, so I don't so I don't know. I don't know if they made the if Chris Marcus who wrote the article made the face or not, though. I don't uh, I don't remember that. I don't I, recall. I, I remember very distinctly sitting at the Sylvan Street. <laughs> Wait a second. Grill. You have a PhD in theater? I do. There is a PhD. There is. In yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's so, a surprise. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And as I said, probably to Chris and certainly to this other reporter that I'm remembering, uh, there's no better preparation for leadership than uh, an education in the arts and particularly in the performing arts. Now think about this, yep. right? If you're going to be, say, a director in the theater, 
then you have to know how to work with a bunch of creative, quirky personalities. Yes. And, you know, I'm familiar bring with that. Them, I work yeah, with yeah, a lot of great Bring quirky them together around a common vision. Right. Right. And goals. Mm -hmm. Get them working collaboratively. And by the way, you have to create a product that people are going to buy. You have to put people in seats. Right. right? And you have limited resources. Limited resources. Constantly yeah. fundraising, yeah. grant writing, mm -hmm. you know, scrapping for every little bit. You've got to become, you know, some sense of good business. Right. I, all of the communication skills. You just you said little bits. Oh, I just things. wanted to say this is this all is too much. This is, no, this is perfect. Oh, okay. That's right. the name right. of the section. No, little bit. Yeah, we're in our little bit section. Yeah. So <laughs> all of those, all of those things that you learn, uh, it, learning the performing arts are incredibly applicable uh, to just about any leadership role, and certainly leadership at a college, um, where yeah. you know we we rely on creative, admittedly sometimes quirky personalities, right, who are incredibly talented. Yep. Uh, Makes and, sense. Yeah, uh, hopefully around you know a common vision for where we're going with the college, with students, with academic programs, all those things. Uh, and you know you've got to have a fairly uh, high tolerance for ambiguity sometimes, and yep. uh, thriftiness and, and and resourcefulness when it comes to getting things done on short budgets, all that stuff, right? So you've been doing this a while, and you've told that story, I'm sure, to, to many folks over the years. Has any <laughs> did, did that sound like recited? I'm sorry. Let me <laughs> no, no, let me, no, 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 no. Let me freshen that up a bit. <laughs> yeah, the tenor of that question was a little off. <laughs> okay, this is my first show. <laughs> You're doing very well. No, no, it's fine. Do, do I have to fire myself? Doug's no, no. Doug's at home shaking his head no it was fine it was just it, it had a, it it was carrying a payload that's all okay his, his upper body injury didn't affect his neck he's <laughs> you know, able no. to shake his head it's i don't know okay. i don't really know but yeah. uh you know but uh, no i was has uh, have you inspired anyone to follow that path for those reasons uh, that you know performing of? arts yeah i know of at least two lawyers uh, <laughs> probably not the answer you expected but i know I at least like, i know at least Essex students two who lawyers who i encouraged to take some acting classes oh. uh, and some, and some uh, speech classes, some students. Uh, How certainly, many people on the planet do you think have PhDs in theater? Uh, How many the of those planet? people are there? Well, you know, they, they range into the hundreds, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah there, there are some of them. That's going right. to be tough yeah. for us to fact check that yeah. one. I don't yeah. know. Well, when I, when I was looking at doctoral programs back in the late 80s, early 90s, mm -hmm. there were about 30 of them in America at that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Programs. That yeah, would have been more, about more, my guess. Oh, 30 yeah. programs. 30 okay. programs. Oh, people. Yeah. 30 okay. programs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, each of them producing some number of sure. yeah. doctors a year. Not very many, but some number. So I, you well, there's an argument that your your choice of, of uh, PhD has served you well. I think so. Um, unless this has all been an act the last nine <laughs> years, which uh, I don't think it is. But, you know, but I'm, I'm just because that. I, I think that is an unusual path, and I'm just. Do you share that with students at all? Oh, oh absolutely, you know, sure. And, I, in fact, I, I sometimes not just with with students at the college, also with other professionals in higher education. Mm -hmm. I do a workshop from time to time uh, called the Accidental President, in okay. which in which I explain. Well, first of all, I, you know, no, you know, ten, eleven, twelve year old in the history of the world has ever looked up at mom and dad and said, I want to be a community college president when I grow up. It's just, it's never happened. It's not on anybody's radar yeah. ever. Um, it's a wonderful job. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. You just don't know about it. And if you do, you're probably not aspiring toward it at that well, age. I, I think there's a lot of things like that, though. And that's why yeah, I think true. it's very Fair interesting enough. that you, right. that we just don't know about when we're young, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it's an interesting path. And it's, it's, had, I would imagine for anybody listening, you know, and hearing that you've taken that path, it sort of opens up some thought processes. Is what else is out there? What else can I do? 
you know, where where might it take me? I encourage students all the time uh, to to you know remain open to other possibilities, whatever their career ambition might be. You mm -hmm. know, recognize that most people, most pe think about all the people you know. Yeah. Most people aren't doing exactly what they went to school for. Right. Right. At some point in their lives, they've changed. They've evolved somehow. Uh, I think that's especially true of people of our generation. I think it might be getting a little bit better with the younger generation. You could speak to that better. You do a lot of very sort of practical training. Yeah, and I don't uh, know that it's a better or worse thing necessarily. It, it, it's, it, you know, it's a thing. Uh, it, it's not... Well, um, I was 40 when I figured it out when I started the magazine. So. <laughs> well, when I say that, what I mean is... Uh, you know, people who are, are you know, open to other possibilities, mm -hmm. evolving into different careers, whether it doesn't have to be leadership roles in those mm -hmm. careers, but different opportunities, right? Um, and, and maybe they're sort of closely associated with what you studied, maybe not. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, it's actually one of the uh, tricky things about this concern over you know, practical education versus a liberal arts degree. Right. It right. depends on how far out you look. All yeah. those people who might be listening who are afraid that uh, you know son or daughter is studying philosophy or liberal arts or something, they think they're not going to get a paycheck. No. You look 40 years out, those are the people who are making more money and have made more over the course of a lifetime. They are. Mm. Their jobs are more secure oftentimes. That, that, oftentimes. That, that, is that statistically backed up? I, I, absolutely. Just yep. two days ago, Inside Higher Ed uh, mm -hmm. had a study out about this on, on liberal arts education. Mm -hmm. You know. This is not to malign any of it. Listen, anything you're going to school for to better yourself, to get a career uh, out of that, that's going to get you some form of you know stable, hopefully benefited employment that you can raise a family on, power to you, and yeah. especially if you love it. That's the important yeah. thing, right? Do what you love. You never work a day in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be so afraid of a liberal arts education, of you know, a performing arts education, right? Yeah. Um, they can take you lots of different places. Yeah. I just think there's a, a, a more of a concern for practicality these days. And I know, you know, I've got one in the arts and I've got one in yeah. the medical field. And we're so happy with the one in the medical field because <laughs> we're like, okay, not going to have to worry about that, that one. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously my son's doing just fine. But, you know, that's a different kind of concern um, as a parent, you know, thinking about, you know, how you're going to put food on the, on the table. You know, yeah. but it, and you're and this is your business, so it's it's a little bit different than uh, those of us that are just sort of worried about our kids and are they going to be okay? Where you have uh, many hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah, and, uh, and as you know, because you know, we know one another, you know, outside of this booth, yeah. uh, I also have uh, a child. Should, who's we, a, should we have told who's, people that? <laughs> who's, yes. a, who's a musician? Yeah, right. Uh, who uh, so far has you know made a little bit of money playing her music and yeah. is studying music business and industry, uh, and is you know with Within a year or two, going to launch herself out there professionally, yeah. and you know I have every confidence in her. One way or the other, she's yeah. going to land on her feet and do well. And, and I think I have the same feeling about my son that that no matter what, you know, he had, has an incredible work ethic, um, and that he would find a way, and he has. Yeah. Um, uh, but to your point earlier, um, not necessarily like he thought it was going to take him. Right. You know, it's taken him in some some. Uh, Areas that he didn't expect, and they're not bad, right? You know, uh, at all. Uh, they're they're just, uh, and, and he's and he's making it work. Uh, but and what a gift to be a musician, oh, yeah. whether you're making your full Absolutely. living at it or not. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, there's something to be said for enjoying what you do, no, no, uh, even if there are absolutely. periods of time in which you make less money. At so it. let's talk about what's that's a good segue. <laughs> okay. Okay, I think different little bits. No, um, to uh, you know, I think it's a great way to end. Maybe is to talk about some of the things that are going on at the school that are new because in, the, in the sort of creative uh, area, you've got some exciting new things coming up. 
uh, on lots of different fronts, right? So, uh, well, let's talk directly about performing arts, maybe, right? So, well, we, before you go down that path, remember what I told you before we went on air that I'm I'm doing the intermittent fasting. So I haven't eaten. Oh boy. So so oh. my 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 brain was going into one particular I, thing. Okay. That you you want to do that first? Okay, let's no, do no, that. no, no. You do. I'm just telling you where it I came was going to save that for last, so you could rush out and get a snack if you needed it. Uh, sure, let's go there. So there's a 10-story uh, building going up on the banks of the Merrimack River in downtown Haverhill. Who built that? Uh, well, Sal Lapoli. Uh, oh, yeah. Lapoli Companies. I've is, heard of him. Building, yeah, he's, he's in lots of places, and thankfully he's in Haverhill. Uh, and he's building something called the Heights, uh, which uh, is well-named. Uh, certainly the tallest building for a tallest long Tallest building distance. in Haverhill. Oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, at the ground floor is going to be a marvelous uh, new restaurant. And at the uh, 10th floor is going to be a place called the Sky Bar, which is going to have the best view in the Merrimack Valley. And on a couple floors in between, uh, Northern Essex Community College will open a new hospitality and culinary arts institute in just a couple of months where we'll be offering some cooking classes for those who are hobbyists, uh, wine pairing and, and couples cooking classes, but we'll also be offering certificates and degrees in, in hospitality, culinary management, and culinary arts, want to be a chef sort of thing. And I think that is fantastic because that is such a, and for, you know, for those who are not familiar with Merrimack Valley Magazine, we're sort of a third of a food magazine. <laughs> right? Magnificently so, yes. You know, and one of the one of the challenges that almost every restaurateur that I know is dealing with are staffing, just not having enough absolutely uh, people, but trained people yeah as well. So I mean, I think that you're, I think the timing is fantastic, and to have this, you know, in Haverhill, you know, a f few miles from where we're sitting, you know, right now is fantastic. So when is that scheduled to actually be open and the degree programs starting. We'll have some community cooking classes uh, starting in the spring, mm -hmm. uh, and then the degree classes, the credit stuff, will begin in the fall. Uh, so you guys are built out, ready to rock? Uh, not today as we sit here. It's being built out, and <laughs> okay. it, it will couple, be. A <laughs> couple, couple of months. Yeah, yeah, and the building itself is going to be taking shape for the rest right. of 2020. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a big, big project. Oh, no, no, uh, understood. It's, it's going to be magnificent. I, so. think we'll, I think we'll have to have a, uh, a follow-up meeting at Skybar. I at, think at you'll love that. It's going yeah, to be no, magnificent. Yes. So that's, that's some exciting news yeah. the college is working so on. So what else is going on? Well, uh, earlier today, um, I, and you can see this on our social media, you'll see some announcements about some focus groups happening in Lawrence next week, mm -hmm. uh, looking at a potential renovation of St. Anne's Church. Oh, the, par the big parish hall there and the church that uh, has been you know, empty for a very long time, mm. decades now. Mm. Uh, and the college uh, and Paramount Developers, which owns the property and the city, sort of jointly looking at um, what a significant renovation of that property might do if it were turned into a performing arts and function facility. Oh, I love that. That is fantastic. Because I think that that's what the city needs. All great cities are going to have a few things, yep. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it needs to have a great school. Yeah. Um, and I think another part of that is is professional uh, you know in, in non-professional uh, art space yeah. uh, you know performing art space all kinds of art space and Lawrence definitely has some some art space but not performing art so I think that is a fantastic development and not for the this area. big it's a huge space and there's yeah. a possibility of a couple of spaces within the the properties there hmm. um, so if you are interested and, and certainly any of your listeners who may have some feedback on this project we've got some open forums happening. Uh, next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think it is. Yeah, we might be interested in yeah, covering be some of that stuff. So we're it, there, you know. it's all we do some arts and culture, too. You do. We do. Uh, lots of it. It's we one, do some arts and that's culture. That's where I learn what's yes. going on. You know, yeah. No, that's really yeah. a great development. So the third aspect, and I don't know how we, we're going to deal with that, 
is uh, professional sports. I think that having a great uh, sports team and it, you know, we will have a, a story coming up in probably May regarding uh, uh, minor league baseball yeah. and minor league baseball's uh, impact on communities. Um, uh, you know, we love the spinners and we love the Fisher Cats up in Manchester. And, you know, these things need to exist. They're, they're really great for the communities, along with arts, you know, all the whole spectrum of arts and a great food scene. These are all, all critical things. So before we wrap up, I'm just... Anything else you What's want? What's going on with athletics? So, you know, uh, oh. ever, I thought that's what you were asking. Well, you're, so, you're, yes, you've, college, got a, you've got a good baseball team. We've got an awesome baseball yeah. team. I, seven out of the last nine years, they've gone to the Junior College World Series. Uh, only, we've had, only, we've had, only seven you know, out of we've nine? Had, actually, community, what happened to the other two years? Uh, we, we had a college south of us in Rhode Island bump into our division that used oh. to be in a higher division, and they managed to do pretty well this past season. We'll overtake them. Don't worry. All right. Uh, and uh, the college has been adding sports uh, and really expanding what we offer. Uh, to students, uh, both as a recruitment and retention tool. We know that the athletes, you know, mm. are good students. Yeah. So, you know, we've added uh, softball. We've added golf. Uh, we actually have uh, esports now. Yeah, <laughs> we have esports. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Okay. I know it's a thing. But I'm, uh, and you know, I'm older than I look. I and um, we're, we've been in conversation, uh, and this is I've been out there publicly uh, recently. We've been in conversation with the Haverhill YMCA about the potential for building uh, a new facility on our campus. So a partnership a between pool? Uh, a pool and other things, yeah, a pool and a fitness center and uh, a new nice uh, you know, facility for uh, the Haverhill Y on the campus there. At, uh, at you, ha you have uh, a physical space to add buildings? and, and We have 106 acres, and uh, some of it is uh, undeveloped and, and you know open for that sort of thing. We have been planning for a few years now hmm. uh, to renovate and hopefully add to our outdoor indoor athletic facilities I ourselves i don't think that community colleges were that cool when i was young they're very cool yeah. it's, it's it's there's a lot of really great stuff and to see you know what's happened with the school in lawrence over the last you know decade is is phenomenal thank you um and i think that people you know definitely need to look at it at differently um you if know. you caught the governor's state of the state address last night, we had uh, five of our Lawrence early college students that he referred to up in the audience because that early college program yeah, we got in Lawrence that's great. is the largest one in the state. So thank you for, that's, for noticing that. That's I, I did. Yeah, yeah, I was watching a hockey game. Sorry. <laughs> Going back and forth. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no disrespect to the governor, but it was a game on. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, Wayne, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. I, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, I'm sorry if there's any disappointment that I'm not done. Doug? Oh, you, you did. You we, did. Fun. You know, you we love we, we love Doug. We wish him well. We hope he's back next week. But uh, this is Glenn Prezano from Merrimack Valley Magazine and the 495. Thank you for listening. <laughs>